0: This is my mom. She's a really good doctor. Hi, I'm Dr. Lex, but I'm also mom to Isabella, Lance, and Lucia. Our mom takes care of our family, our friends, and her patients. On this podcast, our mom is going to be talking to her doctor friends and teaching you how to keep your family safe and healthy. Okay, Mom. Ready for the show? Let's do it. Welcome to Family Health with Dr. Lex. We don't often think of financial wellness as part of our overall health and wellness, but it definitely correlates in more ways than one and can help improve quality of life and of course, in case of an emergency, which is why I'm excited to introduce you today to Dr. Alicia Jong, who is a board certified ophthalmologist, fellowship trained oculoplastic surgeon and certified life coach. Dr. Zhang earned her MD and PhD in neuroscience from Case Western Reserve University, and she trained at Northwestern and the Medical College of Wisconsin for ophthalmology and oculoplastics. Dr. Zhang also earned a Life Coach certification through the Life Coach School, and as such, she primarily works with healthcare professionals working through issues of burnout as well as mastering money mindset. So I'm excited for her today to talk to us about growing our wealthy mindset. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome my friend Dr. Alicia Jong to the show. Ah, Welcome, friends, Family Health with Dr. Lex, and I am so excited today to meet my new friend, Dr. Elisa Jong, who is a board-certified ophthalmologist, a fellowship-trained oculoplastic surgeon, which means she is the smartest of the smart physicians, and she is the founder of Grow Your Money Mindset, and I'm so excited to meet you today to talk about women and finances, which is something that people don't typically think of as a health topic, but in the global scheme of things in terms of our our health our wealth uh our longevity finances is one of the most important things we can learn about and so i'm so happy to have you here welcome to the show thank you so much i'm happy to be here so let's start i mean you're a you're an ophthalmologist you used to take care of eyes you're an op, uh, oculoplastic surgeon how did you kind of take your career your career take a turn into coaching high-achieving women professionals on how to manage their money wisely?
1: Yeah, so money has always been a... I guess favorite topic of mine in in the sense of even uh, when I was a kid, I used to love money. Like I was that person who kind of hoarded money, like saved it, like just like to, you know, count it at times and just know how much was there. (laughs) Um, And so I did an MD, PhD uh, program, um, specifically the MSTP medical science training program. And so I actually had full scholarship for medical school, but I also did uh, the PhD. So, it's on average eight years. And I happen to do that in Cleveland, Ohio, which is the town I grew up in and has a relatively low cost of living. So, and I also had the fortune, I suppose, of being married early. I got uh, married by um, kind of undergrad. So with a husband who also, you know, had an income and knowing that we were going to be there for at least eight years, it actually made sense to buy a house. And so uh, I actually ended up buying my childhood home for my parents, but even uh, before then, I just kind of started looking at other houses and and just learning about personal finances and mortgages and um, and that just kind of like led me down the rabbit hole of reading more about like personal finance in general and budgeting and um, uh, yeah and then investing and then I read Rich Dad Poor Dad and. <laughs> and, and and this kind of like went through like the process of uh, grad school where in retrospect, I was actually a little burned out in grad school. I got to that point where I was like, oh, man, I'm not sure I can do this forever. Uh this is like, this is really a hamster wheel. (laughs) And so I was just like, like, how can I, you know, not do this forever? How can I retire early? And this was way before what, you know, people call the FIRE movement, financial independence, retire early. Um, And so in reading Rich Dad Poor Dad, I actually started investing in real estate as a grad student. She flipped two houses and started um, networking with a lot of people in real estate investment groups. And um, so, you know, uh, fast forward you know, um, started practicing medicine, really love ophthalmology, really love acroplastics. Um, but started working for, um, for a big hospital system where I was on call 24 seven for acroplastics because I was the only acroplastic surgeon. And, oh. uh, and, and, uh, you know, a bunch of things essentially led to burnout again, even though, you know, I was actually loving ophthalmology and, Then I started thinking about like that whole, you know, I already kind of set myself up financially to not to basically work 15 years uh, um, as a physician. And then I could, you know, cut back or do whatever I wanted. And so now I was looking at like, well, how can I even accelerate that further? Hmm. And. Uh, and so I started looking at the real estate again. I had kind of stopped investing in real estate during residency and fellowship training. I really just focused on my education. And then right as I was first attending, I was really focused on, you know, like there's there's definitely a um a huge learning curve when you're first out on your own. So I, I really kind of focused more on that. And then I got to the point where um I had switch jobs to this big hospital. And yeah, so I really started looking at real estate again and I took another real estate course, I had taken real estate courses in order to learn real estate, and they actually um, talked about the Life Coach School podcast. And so one of our assignments was actually to just listen to the first episode, but I ended up fidgeting that podcast, really loved the coaching, and really found that the coaching actually got me out of the burnout. And so I didn't feel that Drive to like, okay, I really have to figure out like financial independence like right now. But that really led me to this kind of path of knowing all these other physicians who are burnt out. And, you know, some like myself were just trying to figure out like, how do I become financially independent as soon as possible so I can leave medicine? And, you know, I really kind of tie that two together where it's like, well, if we can actually cure the burnout, um, then You don't have to like get to financial independence so fast, but at the same time, if you can actually learn to manage your money and be in a place of good, um, you know, financial situation, then you're also in a much better position to negotiate the terms at your workplace so that you can actually have a better workplace situation and not be so burnt out. So I think the two and two, the two actually kind of go hand in hand in many ways.
0: So So. once again, we circle back to the word mindset. It's a, it's a common thread throughout every episode of this podcast. We always are talking about how your mindset shapes everything in your life. And this is no exception, but it sounds like you were kind of self-taught. It doesn't sound like you were raised in a family that was very money conscious. Maybe you learned a lot on your own when you felt like you needed to as a, as a young wife and medical slash grad student.
1: Yeah. But I will say that my parents, they they did talk about money at home. I mean, we talked about like saving for college and like, if I wanted a bicycle, like I actually had to make, um, uh, save for half of it. And then my parents would match the other half. And Uh so there were definitely things growing up where we kind of learned how to manage money, uh, you know, in a way that I think, it was actually pretty natural to kind of learn more about it. Like we didn't necessarily know about like investing in stocks, but as soon as I graduated undergrad, I actually worked for a year before applying for med school. And my parents were like, you're working now. You have to open a Roth, 40, uh, or a Roth IRA and, you know, and, and a 403B at the job that I was working. And they're like, and you need to at least max out your uh, Roth IRA. So, you know, they didn't quite explain to me like what, that was and what yeah. it meant and and why and in fact it, like i just i put the money in and just stand in cash because i didn't realize like okay now i have to figure out how to invest it so it wasn't until a few years later when i started being on the personal finance stuff so i was like oh okay now i actually need to choose some index funds to
0: put that money in. <laughs> But they gave you a good start. It sounds like yeah. so they gave you a good foundation yeah. for and, a, and, a, and an interest to, to, to learn about how to manage your money and set you up for success, which is something that I think a lot of people, especially women, uh, wait kind of till later on in life and, and to start thinking about finances, to start thinking about retirement and their children's college education and start investing. And, um. There's so many advantages to getting started when you're younger, even if you don't have as much to invest. Am I right on that? Oh, yes, totally. Compound interest really,
1: you know, works miracles. I mean, Albert Einstein said it was one of the miracles of the world and he's right. So even if you can't put in that much, just whatever you can put in, in the beginning, really that time allows it to just grow and grow.
0: Yeah. Why is it that you think that women shy away from learning about finances, controlling their own finances or... Um, You know, getting involved in not just savings accounts, but other things like investing and retirement and IRAs and stock market or real estate investing.
1: Yeah, so a lot of it I think is due to society and society beliefs that actually, you know, get into our mindset that we don't even realize. I mean, when you think about it, it wasn't that long ago that women couldn't own property in their own name. I mean, it like a hundred years, like really not that long ago. Um, and there's always been the perception of like the man is the head of the household, he's the breadwinner, like woman doesn't work. And it wasn't until the last century that women actually started working and the gender pay gap is still here and real and everywhere you know even among women physicians still make 80 you know cents to the dollar compared to male physicians and that's after looking at part time maternity leave like all those variables aside there's still a gender pay gap And then there's also the idea that, you know, men are better with numbers. I mean, just even from the beginning, like if you remind a woman that she's a woman before she takes a math test, she will actually do worse on that math test than if you don't actually remind her. She's a woman, and interestingly, they also did the study where they did a uh, they did it with Asian women. So if they reminded them that they were Asian. They did better on the math test, and they reminded them they were women. They did worse on the math test okay. because there's this idea that being Asian means you're good at math. Which I remember hearing all the time when I grew up. Oh, you got an A in that math test because you know you're Chinese. It's like I'm sure. Oh somehow my- being Chinese like gives you an A on math test, like right? So if If women are taught like, oh, well, you know, you're a woman, so you can't be good with numbers, then, you know, money and numbers kind of go hand in hand.
0: Right. Right. And from the very beginning, you know, from negotiating that first, I mean, as a, as a resident physician, you don't really have much say over how much money you make. You are kind of just happy to have a job and get paid to do, you know, finally be working after all those years of training. But after that, from your first job, you know, uh, especially when you're being employed, um, especially by a healthcare system you know, you can just seem like you're just grateful to have a job and maybe not even understanding what you're getting into or what the terms of that are. So just learning basics about contracts and benefits and contributions from the, from the start can help set you up from your very first job can help set you up down the road. And those are like simple things. I mean, you're, you're a financial coach at this point. And so, you know, some of the, The more advanced investment strategies that you coach on um, probably are things that the general public doesn't even know about, you know, and you really need to learn about or you need to seek out that information. I mean, I never learned about any of this stuff, not in high school, not in college. You know, I was science all the way and there was nothing about negotiating contracts, setting yourself up for success, personal accounting, um, personal financial planning at all. And I feel like it's a life skill that really should be part of our basic education.
1: Yeah, I think even in like elementary school and high school, like learning, like, what is a stock? What is a bond? What is the stock market? When, you know, people talk about the S&P 500, what does that even mean? Or the Dow Jones? I mean, none of this is taught. And, And, you know, we're at a point where, you know, pensions are kind of no longer existent, right? I mean, there are a few, you know, government jobs and maybe in an education where you might still have some pensions, but yeah. realistically people have 401ks and 403bs and are depending on their investments in order to get them to retirement and we're living longer and longer, right? Yeah. So, you know, if you're thinking you're going to retire at 65, you may live, I mean, I have a lot of patients in their nineties, right? Like you could live another three decades after you retire and you have to have enough money to last you.
0: Right. And you know, it's kind of like, um, it's power. You, like anything, knowledge is power. You, when you when you have that baseline knowledge, you can, especially as a woman, go into negotiations. You know what you're getting. You can advocate for yourself. You can fight for a, a, you can fight for more and for better um in in when you're negotiating employment contracts and different types of benefits, aside from obviously anything extra outside that you do. Um, I imagine that you're, Coaching strategies are very valuable and it's very helpful to have a coach, someone to teach you. I mean, you can certainly read. There's, I'm sure, a lot of free resources out there for us to learn, podcasts and books and things like that. But getting your hands on a coach like yourself is probably extremely valuable because you can look at the individual's situation and help navigate through a, personal, a person's personal finances.
1: Yeah, and when you talk about negotiation, I mean that's where also being a woman, we're kind of told that oh, we should be you know nice and you know mm-hmm. not aggressive. Like if you're an assertive, women, you're you know called the the B word.
0: <laughs> <Bye>. Yeah, <laughs> among uh,
1: yeah, among other things, and. And so women don't tend to negotiate as hard when they're negotiating for themselves. Now, interestingly, if a woman is negotiating for like a team or someone else that they perceive that, you know, they're trying to get the best for, then they actually negotiate much harder. So, but we deserve to build and negotiate for ourselves and get what we're really worth.
0: Yeah. So you're not talking, I mean, you've talked about mindset, you've talked about um basically confidence in relationships and asserting ourselves. This is so much more than just money. We're talking here about um, um so many other skills that we have intrinsically I mean women are great negotiators we're, we're great um, communicators we're great advocates and we're also smart as hell so combine all those things together you have a, you have all we have intrinsically many of the tools that we need to become successful with our money and um maybe we just don't capitalize on those or maybe we just don't know how.
1: Yeah. And actually big companies that have more women on their, on the, um, you know, C-suite actually do better financially as well.
0: Hmm. Interesting. Okay. So how do women, um, like us, I'm 42 years old. Um, I know, pretend I know zero about finances. How do you advise someone like me? Um, I have a job, I have a contract, I'm employed, um, to get started learning about my finances and my financial health so that I can start planning going forward?
1: Yeah. So it depends on like kind of where you are in terms of your propensity uh, and how you learn. So there are a lot of great books. There are some podcasts out there. There are blogs, um, but that is always the easiest way to start. Now, sometimes the issue is kind of interest, right? Like you start listening to it and, you know, you kind of glaze over. So what helps with that, I think, is to kind of know your why. Like, why are you learning this? What is your goal? Is your goal to help your kids through college? Is to make sure your retirement is, yeah. you know, set in place? Um, is it to build a budget for, you know, a a, <clears throat> a bucket list item or, like, you know, a, a big vacation that, you know, that you, a place that you've always wanted to go to? So you got to pick some reason that is going to kind of propel you to actually spend the time in order to kind of learn that information. And it's not really hard. I mean, basically all the math that you need to know is math that you learned in elementary school, not, not even your high school math, really. Yeah. But it does, you know, take some time to actually spend the time, you know, getting that education. And this is, I do think where having a coach can be really helpful is, you know, meeting you where you are and trying to figure out like, you know, what would be the most helpful way and trying to work on that mindset piece of, 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 you know, getting over whatever hump it might be that's been preventing you from being able to get to where you want to go.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Because not everyone should be investing in real estate and not everyone should be investing in the stock market, depending on your assets, your earning potential, the benefits that you have in your job. I imagine that there are better and worse strategies for your financial success depending on your personal situation. Are you married? Are you single? Do you have children or not? Do you live in a city or, you know, in, the, in a rural area? I mean, all of those things I'm sure are factors in determining what type of investing you should be doing.
1: Yeah. And it is. And all of those factors are also things that determine your money mindset, right? The people around you affect your money mindset. And yeah. so that's all to be taken into consideration. Yeah. So it's hard to kind of, you know, give a um, and recommendations that will apply to every person because it, it is going to depend a lot on each person's individual situation.
0: Yeah. So we talked about the 42-year-old who's trying to get started in investing. What do you say to the 20-year-old who's getting ready to graduate from college and nobody's talked to them about their finances? What would be a great way for them to start learning about investing and preparing for their future financially?
1: Yeah, so I mean, I can give some kind of pearls to kind of start with is, first of all, you know, just pick up some simple books or listen to some podcasts to just uh, start learning. And, you know, you can actually meet with, like, if you are, uh, you know, get a job, like there's someone in human resources who at least can explain your benefits and can talk to you about, like, you know, your 401k or 403 being your matching. And that can actually just, you know, they're there to just help you. Mm-hmm. Um typically you want to spend below your means. (laughs) That's always a good thing. Um, and you know, be saving. So if you start right out of undergrad saving, you can actually save as low as 10% your entire lifetime and and likely be fine for retirement. Um, if you're starting later, you're probably going to need to save a, a higher percentage. And unfortunately for us physicians, we go through a really delayed, um, period because of our extended education. And then, um, and then we kind of like you know suddenly have you know a much higher income we also have a, a high debt profile so that actually lends to having to save a lot more uh, later on um, you know typically 20 uh, even 30% of our income in order to actually uh, build to get to retirement
0: yeah i think people forget about that when they think about physician salaries that we didn't make any money for our entire 20s when everybody else graduated college and started making money we had another 10 years at least before we started uh, earning anything Really, yeah. we spend our entire 20s not partying and working and not making any money. <laughs> yeah.
1: And I talked about saving, but then you actually have to invest that money because if you just leave it in a bank account, like it's losing money compared to inflation.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about um, optimizing credit cards. Is that something that you can um, kind of expand upon? Because it's something that my family and I, um, we had some initial credit card debt. And we worked really hard to pay off that debt and then started using our credit cards and our credit to work for us instead of working against us, meaning instead of letting the debt sit there and you pay it off, you know, the minimum payment over years and years and years and end up paying way more than you spent. Um, you, there are actually strategies to use your credit and your credit cards to help you pay down your debt and to um, earn rewards and points that will help you pay for. certain things that you're interested in. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah. So this is also where you have to be aware of your own money mindset, because there are people um, and studies kind of show that you will typically spend more if you have a credit card than if you just uh, are spending actual cash. Now, that's not necessarily true for everybody, but um, that is true for a lot of people. So you want to make sure that you're not just spending more because you're using the credit card. Um, Ideally, you want to pay off the balance every month. Okay. And then, you know, when it comes to credit card rewards, I mean, it does take a little bit of tracking, but there are a lot of credit cards which give great rewards when you first open the card. Mm -hmm. And and then you have to hit a a certain spending level within a certain time frame. So that, again, like you want to hit that spending level to get those rewards, but you also don't want to spend on things you wouldn't otherwise buy just to get those rewards, (laughs) right? So that might mean, depending on the amount that you have to spend, like actually coordinating, okay, I know I'm going to have, you know, this big payment, which I can put on their credit card at this time, and so I'm going to apply for the card, uh, you know, ahead of time. You know, make this uh, payment, and that is going to be what you know gives me the reward, and then cycle through um, the different cards for the different words. So I mean, especially like travel awards and um, the you know uh, the airplane credit cards, like you know you can get like. 75,000 like miles, which can actually already just be a plane ticket off of opening a new card and, um, and have that bonus. And then once you get that bonus, you know, you can close a card, like opening your spouse's name, like, you know, get get the bonus again, like, um, so, so there are ways to kind of, like, Really, yeah, get essentially money back from using uh, the credit card, but you do have to stay on top of it and you have to make sure that you're not spending more just to get the rewards and that you're you're paying off the balance every month, that you're not holding um that credit card interest rate. Um, sometimes I mean there are times where you can get an introductory rate of zero percent. And so sometimes you can use that as you know, kind of arbitrage where. Uh, your whole, you can hold that at 0% and, you know, have an invest, but you do want to make sure that when that 0% goes away, that you can now pay that down or, you know, pay that completely off because you do not want to be paying 17, you know, 22% interest rate on your credit card debt.
0: Yeah. And you also want to take a look at some of those credit cards have high annual fees. You want to make sure that the reward that you're getting from the rewards or the points that you're getting from the use of the card Justifies the annual fee. So if you're not using it, some of them are high fees. Like the the Amex Platinum is a I think like seven hundred dollars a year or something like that. Um, But if you use it and you get the travel rewards and the travel points for it, it certainly pays for itself. Um,
1: Until COVID comes (laughs) in and
0: ruins all your travel, (laughs) you're not going anywhere. Oh God, (laughs) help us all. Um, So you you and I have mentioned in this conversation um, already. You know, investing in IRAs. 401k, 403b, we've talked about credit, we've talked about real estate, stock markets. If you could say like pound for pound, I know that everyone is different and, and, and everyone's financial situation is different. But if you could say pound for pound, which um, type of investing is gonna give you the best return on your investment um, across the board? Uh, what, which one would you suggest? That, which one do you, do you suggest that everybody should get involved with? So I think um, investing
1: in in-depth funds uh low cost low expense ratio index funds is kind of the easiest way for people to get investing uh, and uh, be invested and, and make returns it's not necessarily going to be your highest investment because if you're savvy in real estate like that's probably going to be your highest investment but you have to be knowledgeable and savvy and know what you're doing because you can also lose a lot of money in real estate so okay. that's that's where that double-edged uh, sword really lies you know i think they're uh, it's something you said just to have diversity in your, in your portfolio. So, you know, there are some real estate people who just do real estate and they don't bother with uh, the stock market essentially at all. Um, but I am not one of those people. So, you know, having some money in the stock, you know, in in index stock funds, index bond funds, um, and then, you know, having... Other money in real estate, if if that's something that you want to actually learn how to invest in, and yes, like depending on your uh, net worth and on your level of income, there are other kind of investments that are available um, that uh, are um, to what's called an accredited investor, and you have to you know have a certain level of wealth before you are allowed to get into those kind of investments.
0: Um, aside from a coach, which is kind of a person who's going to kind of um, make assessments and give you advice and support and accountability for your financial journey, there are financial advisors or wealth management specialists, people who can actually help you decide where your money is going to go and how you're going to invest. And maybe, maybe actually we'll make those moves for you. Do you suggest that we all have a financial advisor working with? You? So-
1: Less than 10% of financial advisors in the United States are what's called fiduciary financial advisors, meaning they're actually doing what's right for you. Ouch. Yeah, I know. It's pretty bad, right? So most financial advisors are essentially salesmen and and insurance salesmen. So if anyone's trying to sell you whole life insurance or AVUL, universal life insurance, you should probably be running the other way. Now, there might be some very specific cases where these can be beneficial, but for the most part, they're beneficial beneficial to whoever's selling you them because they get a lot of commission for selling that. Gotcha. Um, also, if you have someone who's, you know, managing your uh your stocks and bonds, uh, they are usually charging okay. an assets under management fee, an AUM fee. And that can range anywhere between 0.75% and 1.25%. That might not sound like a lot, but that is a huge drag on your uh, investment growth and they get that money whether you make money or you lose money. So if you lose money they're still taking their cut and that really can slow down your wealth as well. So if you're going to get a uh, if you're going to use a financial uh, planner you really want one who's truly fiduciary and typically that's going to be someone who's just fee based. You're going to pay them a, sp- a set amount either by hour or a certain amount for a package. They're going to look over all your financial situation and they're going to give you a plan. And then it's up to you to execute the plan. And actually this is where having, you know, coach like, I mean, you actually execute that plan and get you on that road, um, after you've gotten that financial plan from a financial advisor can be extremely helpful. And I have certainly done that for some clients.
0: That's interesting. It's interesting advice because I think, you know, everyone thinks, well, I don't know what to do with my money. I need a financial advisor. And it's going to be easier for me than going out and learning all this stuff and tracking it and monitoring it, you know, and doing all the um, investing myself. So I think that it's great advice that I didn't, you know, I wasn't aware of that about financial advisors um, and that it may be behoove you in the long run to do it yourself.
1: Yeah. Um, the White Code Investor has a course called Fire Your Financial Advisor. It's actually a very uh, comprehensive course. Um, and it does actually teach you how like everything to go through. Now, again, you have to have the kind of discipline to actually get through all that, um, which can be the hard part. But in the end, no one cares about your wealth as much as you do. No one cares about like if you're going to make it through your retirement, mm-hmm. except for you. And, you know, in the end, it's something where we really need to take control of. Just like, you know, we pay our bills. Like there are a lot of things that you know we call adulting, like things that we don't love doing, but we just kind of yeah. have to take care of, right? And you know, you can think like, oh, I'm just going to delegate that out, but I highly recommend not delegating this part of it out. Yeah. I mean, you are the CEO of your household, yeah, you know, or co-CEO with your spouse, depending on how your household runs. And like you got to make sure that in the end, like the bucks stops with you, right? Like you could have a, you know, advisor, but that's all they are. They're an advisor. You in the end, make the end decision.
0: Right. right. Yeah. I mean, I personally wish that we had started a little bit earlier. Um, you know, we just were so under, like, um, so what is the word I'm looking for? Like we were in over our heads in obligations, you know, we were, I was in medical school residency, we had babies, we got married. We, like you, we bought my grandmother's house, the house that my dad grew up in. And, you know, we started to uh, renovate that house and try to, you know, start renting it out and started to make some smart decisions when we were younger, but weren't really savvy in terms of long-term investing in terms of uh, credit and our credit scores and things like that. And I really do wish I had gotten started sooner Um, you know, now fortunately we've learned a ton and we've been able to kind of turn our situation around primarily with real estate investing. And like you said, probably the highest yield, the highest return on our investment, but you know, something that takes capital and takes knowledge and knowledge of the market, you know, not, you don't just have to know about houses, but you have to know about your local and national markets and know who to work with and who, you know, how to approach it. So um, so I think, yeah, I, like you said, everyone is, everyone's situation is different. Your, your personal relationships are different. Your um, earning potential is different. Your, um, obligations, you know, your financial obligations are all different. So, um, having a coach or somebody who can help you assess and take a look at everything and kind of guide you through is probably one of the smarter investments you can make, right?
1: Yeah, no, I, I if it's if you're not able to figure out yourself, like having a coach, right. I mean, just like if you, you know, really want to get good at playing golf, right. Like getting a golf coach is really going to speed up that, uh, that progress. You could be at the driving range hitting ball after ball, but if you don't know how to like have a good swing, like you're still probably not going to improve all that much just by, you know, reading books. But, you know, as soon as you get a golf coach and they can look at you and be like, you know, show you what you need to do then. Yeah. That can be super helpful.
0: Now, as a coach, do you look at someone's specific finances or do you kind of just teach mindset, mentality, general approaches to financial success? No,
1: I will actually. And this is why I do private one on one coaching. Um, you know, it's it's all to the client's um, you know, level of comfort, but, you know, we'll go over like all your numbers, all the spending, you know, where your accounts are. And, but in the end, what I teach uh, my clients is how do they want to manage it? So I'm not going to say, like, oh, this is what you should have in your portfolio. I mean, okay. if that's what you want, then you should go to a financial advisor. But when I'm going to talk to you to my, uh, what I talk with my clients about is like, okay, what are your goals? Like, you know, what, where do you want to spend your time? Like, how fast do you want to get there? Yeah. What do you want to spend your time learning? Like, what's interesting to you? And, yeah. and then we go from there.
0: It's great advice. It's really great advice. I mean, I think I, I don't even, I didn't even know really, um, you know, prior to being in some physician financial groups um, on Facebook in the last couple of years that financial coaches even existed. You know, I thought we were to rely on the banks and our, uh, our money people that, <laughs> that help us with our accounting, you know, and so um, to, to be aware that this that this kind of service is out there, I think is really empowering, especially for women, especially for women who uh, maybe feel like we're behind the eight ball. Um, in terms of our knowledge and, um, and our capacity, um, you know, maybe lacking. yeah, confidence. it's funny. I've actually had male clients. So, you know,
1: I mean, a lot of times women do feel like, uh, um, that they don't have a hand on their finances, yeah. but there are definitely men who also feel just the same.
0: Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Before I let you go, I just wanted to ask if there is any kind of any kind of like pearls of wisdom that you can offer, like, you know, um, the, you know the the top five things that you can stop spending money on or, you know, the, the things that you should do immediately to kind of help yourself and mm. imp- help improve your financial situation for the long run. Um, any pearls of wisdom that you can drop that are kind of universal?
1: Yeah. So really spending on your values, right? Not spending on other people's values. So what? you know, what do you spend on that you're happy, like a year later that you made that purchase? You know, if you're spending to make yourself happy in that moment, like, oh, like, oh, that you know necklace looks beautiful, and it looks beautiful on me. And then you buy the necklace, and then you find like a year later, you've worn that necklace maybe once or, you know, not even, like, that was probably not a great way to spend money. Um, but if it's, um, you know, you buy something, and you really love it, you wear it all the time, and a year later, you're like, yes, I would definitely buy that again. Like you want to try to make as many of your purchases be like those. Yes. I love that purchase. And I would definitely do it again. And for a lot of people, that's not about buying stuff. It's about buying experiences. Sure. Right.
0: Yeah. That's probably the one thing I spend my money on most that I never regret. I always say travel is the one thing that you spend money on that makes you richer. It's probably the only thing you spend money on that makes you richer. Um, The other thing, um, the other pearl I want to add is also don't look at
1: things as you buy it as a monthly payment so when you're looking at buying your house or your car like look at how much the actual price of what you're buying is not how much can you afford a monthly payment i think that's also really important
0: yeah something silly that i started doing a while back that's kind of really helped me because So much of shopping is like impulse buys, you know, especially online shopping. I work nights. So when I you know, have some free time and I'm on my phone, you know, and ads pop up and I go down the rabbit hole of, you know, something that's been marketed to me, I'll always put it in the cart and I'll be like, oh yeah, that's great. And then the next day I go back to the cart and half the time I'm like, I don't want this. You know, you don't click purchase or place order right away. And you just kind of give yourself a minute to think about, do I really want this? And I'm talking about for like stuff. I'm not talking about like a boat or a, you know vacation. I'm talking about like, Oh, that really cute shirt that popped up on my feed. And you know, you have 17 of them in your Amazon cart. When you go the next day to look at it, like how many of those things are you actually going to want to purchase? You know, because sometimes the stuff arrives at your house and you're like, I don't feel as good about buying this as I did when I put it in my car. It's kind of like that rush, you know, that's kind of addictive and um, spending is a, is kind of a mind trick shopping and spending money on things that are really not that really, you really don't need is kind of a mind trick.
1: Um, yeah, it's really great advice, especially with online shopping. Like like I tell people all the time, yeah, put in your cart and leave it for 24 hours. If you still really want it 24 hours, then you can go ahead and buy it. But, you know, generally when we spend things, if we can plan our spending as opposed to impulse buy, impulse
0: buy is what really leads to overspending
1: most of the time.
0: Yeah, and think about how many of the things that we buy that we don't really need, that we just buy because they're on the end of the... In the grocery store. You know, you didn't go to the grocery store intending to buy what was on sale, but you're like, oh, it's on sale. So I must have it. Or, you know, I can't, I should get this now. And then, you know, the box of cereal sits in your pantry for months at a time. You know, so like the things that are being aware of how things are being marketed to you can really help you change your mindset around what you're purchasing. You know, if you're purchasing these things and the boxes are piling up and you end up with clutter all over your home of things that you were like, how much value is this really adding to my life? It can really just assessing that can really change your mindset. Nothing changed my money mindset more than having a yard sale. I, my husband and I put out on our yard, um, years worth of stuff that we accumulated. And when we thought about, it, we added it all up and kind of, uh, realized how much we got back versus how much we spent it was absurd. It was absurd. And that was kind of like, you know, when I really started to pay attention to how much impulse buying I was doing, how much online shopping I was doing, how many packages were showing up at the front door. I know everybody's I don't care what you say. I know you've got Amazon packages coming all the time, you know, and you like hide them from your husband. <laughs> like, like, if nobody sees how many boxes there are, nobody will know how much unnecessary crap I bought, you know. But there was nothing more eye opening for me about how much impulse buying I did than having that yard sale and seeing all the stuff. Like, how many tennis rackets does one family need, you know, <laughs> that kind of nonsense. Yeah. My All along, my husband, who is very savvy and very conservative, you know, he was like, see, I told you, I told you we didn't need all that crap. I told you that when those 10 boxes showed up, we didn't need whatever was in it. We didn't need it. You know, so just just great to kind of be aware and bring your attention to it before you get into trouble with debt. Um, Great, great advice. Um, I really appreciate that you as a woman and as a physician are not just talking about medicine and eyes and eye disease and, and your specialty, but you are branching out and utilizing your skills and your interests to make important changes in the lives of others, especially other women.
1: Yeah. Thanks so much for that.
0: Yeah. My pleasure. Before we go, I'd just like for you to tell my friends who are listening where they can find (laughs) you, how they can learn more from you and where they can um, contact you. So if they want to work with you, they can. Yeah,
1: so the best place to go is my website growyourwealthymindset.com. and from there, actually, there is a freebie. Um, there's a workbook on how to calculate uh, financial independence. So if you're interested in that, definitely check that out. I do have a YouTube channel, and to find the YouTube channel, it's probably easiest to go to that website and just you know uh, click on the link for the the YouTube channel. And uh, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. All that stuff. Um, but yeah, just finding that all uh, off the website, and that's growyourwealthymindset.com.
0: Aside from your one-on-one coaching, do you offer any courses?
1: I don't at this time, um, just because there are other courses out there. And um, I don't necessarily, I haven't found a uh, um, kind of a niche where there's really something missing in terms of courses.
0: Uh, Did you study like economics or finance in undergrad or this all came after the fact?
1: No, this all came after the fact. So yeah, I study engineering and applied science and and neuroscience essentially.
0: Wow. Well, you're beautiful. You're brilliant. And I'm so glad that we got to know each other. I hope that we can talk more in the future. And um, thank you so much for being here. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. It's been fun. My pleasure. Hey, thanks for listening to my podcast, Family Health with Dr. Lex. If you love the music like I do, you can find more at therealmichaelvm.com forward slash music. If you'd like to support the show, please leave a review, subscribe, and share with your friends. You can ask questions, suggest topics for future podcast interviews, and find more health and wellness information on my website, drlexlifestylemedicine.com. See you next time.